So I guess the first thing I want to chat with you briefly about is uh, web services. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I use the heck out of them. Do you really? Well, I, I have to, right? Because like at work, my job is to write code to pull data from Google, Yahoo, and MSN through so, their web services. So you're a big consumer of web services. and now, But that's a good example of... I think a good use for web services, like because they don't know who's obviously coming into their API, so it's a very easy way for them to publish data out and let anyone come in and get it. I, I find it confusing, and we find a lot of people who do it who control both sides of, um, you know, an application and are really leveraging web services. What, what do you mean? Well, if I'm the producer and consumer, and that's probably going to be all, you know, there will only be one producer and one consumer. You know, if you're at Google, you have thousands of consumers, for example. Right, right. You know, but I'm still kind of wondering, maybe just because people haven't done it well and the technologies are starting to come off around it, whether it's like Spring with its web service layer now or Access and things like that to facilitate web service development. But, you know, if you're the only one consuming a web service, mm -hmm. is the overhead, I mean, RESTful API. Worth it. Yeah. Is the overhead worth it, right. Yeah. Okay, so... Here's here's uh, my take on that, right? We've we, we're the, uh, a huge consumer of web services, right? We use the hell out of these different uh, engines, right? Right. But we also provide web services. Um, reason being, we have this, um, you know, uh, data like business intelligence tool, right? And it pulls data out of our system through our web services. Okay. So it's a separate like fat client thing that runs on your desktop. Okay. Um, and it, you know, so we have, so internally, right, we've got two systems. We've got the web system and the fat client system, and they talk via web services, right? Like, okay, so why the overhead? Um, well, mainly because the fat client system's written in .NET, right? And the backend <laughs> system's written in Java, and I wouldn't want to have to tr figure out, like, how to, I mean, there's, like, what's your choice, right? There's like that Google protocol buffer thing, but fat chance getting somebody to code up your C sharp to talk to that thing, right? Right. Well, and I guess, so, and I think like, so we're discussing the evolution of not only are the tools, I mean, like to consume web services that are producing .NET as well as Java's gotten a lot easier. But I also think the advent of RESTful and maybe not in the full representative state transfer, but simply like throwing out the SOAP BS and requesting a structured document and getting a structured document Right, it's, right. It's somewhat sure. helpful. I mean, cause... Well, to be honest, I the the soap. I mean, unless you're talking about like um, the overhead of having it on the wire while you're communicating, like you know, there, there's like extra characters being moved over the network connection. Right. Uh, you know, the the programming overhead um, is pretty small for us. I've even started using um, some web services in our like uh you know our batch system okay for monitoring so i've got like a couple web services exposed where i can reach in and find out you know what's running at any given point and you know what's failed and that sort of thing no, that's and pretty cool i'm talking to that from a soap for r um command line ruby script neat um and and really the code is so little like, you know, it's it's using Spring Web Services, right? 
So there's this class. I go into the class, right? After it's all set up, right? I mean, uh, it, there's a little overhead in setting it up, right? Because you got to like goddamn XML and Java. <laughs> yeah. But then once it's set up, I go, I open that class. I add a function, right? A method to that class. It's now exposed as part of the web service. Soap for R is just pointed at the WSDL and does a dynamic inspection of the WSDL every time it launches. Okay. Right? So there's nothing in Soap for R that says, I'm, I know about these methods. Each time you launch it, it picks it up from the WSDL and says, hey, there's the methods I know, and then I can call them. So there's like zero programming overhead to make that function call between the two bits of code. Wow. And that's a great example of like using a combination of a, you know, a compiled Java runtime and you know, a dynamic language to be able to add functionality and be able to consume it later. Um, you know, stuff like that would never work in Java if you were like adding, you, know, you can change your Java service almost at will and just deal with it later. Right, right. You know, I mean, like, I think yeah, that's where, one, one where like, if, you, ooh, sorry, if, go ahead. If my client was Java, like, it would suck because every time I change the WSDL, they'd have to regenerate the access code or the, what is it, Jaxby or whatever the hell they're using to talk to it. Like, Java's not going to pick up a dynamic change in a WSDL and be able to deal with it. Right, not without some overhead. Right. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons, like, uh, UDDI never really was as successful as I thought, you know, that it'd be great to be able to, oh, dynamically discover a new service and, you know, be able to just deal with calling into web services and stuff like that dynamically. But obviously it's just too difficult to date, I think, to really take advantage of that. You have to know the point that you're kind of coming into and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually have, have you ever actually seen that work where someone's called into a registry, gotten an endpoint? And being like redirected and consumed to web service, like, even if they know about it, but like maybe if you have a web service that's moving around or something like that, or uh, you know load balance or something. Well, um, Yahoo does that, right? Like they they expose maybe fifteen different services, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of them is the location service, and he has a fixed endpoint, right? You okay. call him with your user credentials, and depending on what time of day or who you are or whatever, right? When you call him, you get a new um, web service endpoint back, and you're to use that for all subsequent calls of all your other services. So when you designed your consumption of the Yahoo web service, that's how you built it. We have to call the locator service first to find out right. what our actual endpoint is for all the other services. Like, so dynamically throughout the day, they may change, you know, load balance or whatever, right? M move services to different data centers. We don't know the difference because we call that locator service. We find out where all the rest are. Now, is that locator service kind of something standard that you would find, for example, in a web service registry? I mean, there's no, I mean, like, I guess that's it's, what... it's, it's a custom web service that they built. It's right. not, you know, like but, a standard registry. I, I don't know if there is a, a standard protocol for that. I mean, I think that's what the, UD, you know, uh, what is it? Universal discovery and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's what that was supposed to be was you could kind of. Or was like, I kind of got the impression that was supposed to be um, 
something you could query and say like, okay, like today I'm looking for, uh, you know, stock prices right now. Who are the top 10 people I can get stock prices from? Uh, I mean, I can see that being like external on the internet, but I mean, I think most people, you know, back, this is going back when, web, you know, the advent of web services, mm-hmm. you were supposed to set up a UDDI internally, you know, registry. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still great for potentially cataloging because I think that's one of the things people do poorly when they use web services and this can be a subsequent conversation, mm-hmm. but they don't catalog them. So, you know, IT groups create web services and then someone else creates the same web service, the next project, because they never talk. So there's no central repository to go and find what's available and maybe right, can, right. and maybe you can kind of handle that objective but i thought it was also kind of you know you would go and find out not only what's available but where they're located and i would assume that would be i mean to be of any value that could be standard so that if i created a you know canonical form for my company where uh you know say we deal in stock prices for some reason mm-hmm. uh, you could go in and say okay what's uh, this stock price now, you know, there might be another service that shows you somehow the trending or something like that that fits into the same form. And then you could kind of just dynamically call into services and get some data back, you know. Right, right. But again, you're back to the the issue of like, when have you ever seen anything in Java be that dynamic? Like, no. <laughs> you have to know where it is ahead of time. Right. You have to know, at least have a wisdom Right, and once you have the whistle, you generate all the client stub stuff. Yeah, it's a pain right? in the ass, giant pain in the ass. But but the only thing the, the the point of the locator service thing that Yahoo did right is that even though you've generated the stub stuff, you can always point it at a new location. Right, right, and that's what that's what it lets you do is you know find the servers basically, and then you know the interface is the same. Now, we ran into a problem recently with MSN where they actually um, they, they made changes in their WSDL but didn't um, Update. have a new revision number. Uh. Like, <laughs> they updated the service, and it wasn't a new version. Oh, like, wow. So some of our calls just, like, broke because it was like, I, I don't know what that, you know, uh, parameter object type is. Um which I thought was kind of a horrible way to go about it. but Yeah, particularly from a company of that, you know, size who is probably dealing with hundreds of clients and thousands of clients consuming that web service just to go out and do that probably caused a lot of headache. Oh, I'm sure. So, all right. Well, uh, I'll take it upon myself to come back next week with more information on UDDI and what the goals of it were. Yeah, because I have no idea what it really does. I I don't either, but I... I had this vague inkling... (laughs) Well, in a conversation with somebody recently, they were bringing it up like, oh, we want to do this right. We want to have the registry. I'm going, I don't know of anyone who's actually ever used that. Right. <laughs> you right. Know? I kind of sound like an ass. Did that die with like, uh, you know, SGML? <laughs> yeah. Like I kind of <laughs> felt like an ass because, you know, you read a lot of the white papers from, you know, whatever. Here's how you properly implement web services. And, you know, all the oracles and big companies have the registry product, the, you know, their form of generating the you know stubs and things like that whatever the right, co- right. code base is and blah 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 and this is how you lay out the architecture for it well maybe you should find out what the guy's requirement was because maybe you know he needed to set up a service so that you could get your sgml that just find your midi <laughs> files you know and <laughs> yeah <laughs> no his well it goes back to that's why i think you know how this came to mind was 
it's kind of going to be they had a web front end. And, I mean, some of this makes sense. Um, you know, back in the day, it would have been done via, like, EJBs or something like that, you know, also terrible. But now they're looking to potentially use different technologies for the front end, calling back to a central set of services to help manage, you know, some user information for multiple sites. So it kind of have a central place. So, again, it makes some sense, but it's mostly point-to-point. And, you know, but he was really high on web services and soap and, you know, all this other stuff that he read. And, uh, yeah, that seems crazy to me. Yeah. And I, I think there's a place for it. And I get, you know, I, so, you know, we talked about restful services and keeping it kind of more simple and defining some very simple, um, contracts so that, you know, do that up front right. to exa- exactly the discussion we're having. Cause Java is not flexible. And, you know, if the front end is written in PHP, they might be able to be like, Oh yeah, I'll deal with it. But the stuff on the back end is not going to be that dynamic. So that, that brings up a good thought. Um, so like, are people pushing REST requests over ESBs? Um, you know, like, isn't that the point of an enterprise service bus is that you go to it and say, hey, I need this data, right? And it goes to the system of record and pulls it back and gets it to you. I, and I, it deals with all the transformations in between, right? Like, isn't right. it? I can't see why... It wouldn't be over an ESP. I'm just trying to think, but it it seems like that would be an extra hop of abstraction. Sure, um, but I mean, I thought the point of those was that the hop was put there on purpose. Yeah. To do exactly that um, sort of cataloging of what's available and where do you get it, so that you have one point to go to to get all your enterprise data. Where it comes from after that hop, I don't know. Right. It's kind of right. like a star topology right? sure yeah so you only talk to the one place and it's a bus it topology but yeah <laughs> bus right 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 because yeah. tricky name they came up with yeah I, I, I should come out with a new product then enterprise service star <laughs> we could we could be onto something service star no that's a hardware store never mind <laughs> <laughs> people would call you up can i get my hammer and you would route right. them you'd route them to the right aisle sure i'll forward your call to the lows um yeah i'm just trying to think because i i don't know exactly how people would call it i mean because you'd have to front you know a lot of esbs have their own little mini app server so you could probably enable something that's you know has a restful url and then routes it through there you know and and potentially and it could be soap on the other end for all you know you don't care right you don't care it could be rest to rest i mean it could be sure same call but just a different url or something like that um but i think yeah the you're protected from it might be the soap on the other end it could be sounds a, like this is what your friend needs this is. well it's quote unquote if we came in there with an esb solution he was going to throw us oh yeah yeah because i kind of i mean i mentioned that oddly enough i said the same thing i said well because like they have a bunch of disparate backend data sources ranging from like mainframe to Siebel to whatever. And there's bits of data spread out across those. And I said, well, that's, you know, exactly as you said, that's the advantage of a bus. I can call in and say, Hey, show me my, uh, you know, member data. And it would call up the mainframe and get a bit call, you know, do a database query against Siebel or a web service call or whatever, and come back to you and say, Hey, here's your member view. And you you would never know. And it'd be great. Right. Right. 
and and it would be like rainbow skittles and unicorns <laughs> extra skittles only red right. ones yeah esb is wonderful isn't it <laughs> i found three places i think in 30 projects where i actually think one would work nice um and you know and apparently this was one of them because you were going to pitch it well i i wanted to discuss it you know right, right. i wasn't pitching sure. it it was an open sure. conversation but uh yeah you never know and there's plenty of people who are using them out there i mean a lot of a lot of tools that focus on the esb um you mean the people using <laughs> no but i'm saying yeah i mean but obviously mule mule source is a very successful uh company service mix Oh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I was supposed to be in a webinar the other day for Mule something or other. Um, it was about bringing on new client data rapidly. Uh, yeah, and it got canceled. Actually, that was another time. company where I thought an ESG would be very advantageous. Uh, it was a company that grew by acquisition, and therefore, you know, again, yeah, sure. um, um, almost same kind of thing. You know, you're calling into a system, and it'd be nice to know, like, oh. You're looking for client X. Well, I happen to know that client X is in the PeopleSoft database, way the hell over here. Right. You know, right. Based, based on some other data that you can route on, because you can actually inspect the payload and do some dynamic routing. But client Y is in your, you know, Oracle database. It was homegrown. You know, what I mean, who knows? And come back and you know, make your front end a lot simpler. But who knows? So be it. Right. So uh, the other thing. Was I guess so? Last week we were talking about cucumber, and we, we have been trying to talk about you know creating stories and actually getting products out the door, yes, ourselves. And you were saying that you had a pretty good experience potentially to, to talk to handling a business analyst. Well, it's funny because um, you know magically out of the blue, um, this guy up in New York wanted to help me extend you know the the bar camp schedule thing that I work on. Right. Because he wants to use it, and he wants to add features that I, I don't think I'd put in there. Hmm. Um, but for, you know, some added help, maybe I'll, uh, you know, bother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was it was about, you know, like uh, session suggestions, right? He wanted, like, a, a place where people could register, like, ideas for suggestions, where people could vote them up or down, you know, so that you got some general gist of what people were looking for. And if you wanted to give a talk, whether or not you'd have an audience. Could right? you? Well, so it sounds like he's kind of expanding the bar camp concept to be like maybe the day before bar camp. I mean, obviously. No, 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 no. From not... like, from like, um, from like, uh, registrate, like registration on, you know, like I'm a okay. new, new person and I'm interested in it. I go sign up and register with the app. Right, that's my RSVP or buy the ticket, whatever. Right, because most people are using things like Eventbrite or Ticket Leap yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh huh. You know, and, and the idea is like this should just do all that crap for you, right? It should be like you know you just turn it on, and say I want to run a bar camp, and it has all the online shit you need. Well, it's, I mean, luckily there's no e-commerce or anything, so or at least not for right. There's no money to change hands, so, so you don't have to worry so much about yeah. Being Uber, you know, um, safe with certain things, credit card numbers. Um, so, but anyway, the thought is that once people get their ticket, well, then, you know, they're going to, you know, some of them are going to post, uh, you know, profiles, right? Because 
if you ever noticed uh, the Bar Camp Philly website leading up to it, they, you know, start blogging about who's going to be there and who mm-hmm. do they work for. And, you know, you should talk to them because here's what they're all about. Um, right. You know, so people can post profile information. They can post things they're looking for, things they want to talk about, get a sense of who's interested in that. You know, that's that's this guy's thought. And then he wants to take it a step further where morning of, right, he wants to let the person, you know, um, sitting there, you know, just banging in the uh, the keyboard uh, schedule, right, to be able to drag suggestions from the list of top suggestions and just drag them onto the calendar and drop them where they go. Well, right. That's what I meant, I guess, by extending it. So it, the normal bar camp thing is there's really no suggestions, right? I mean, or no set agenda or right. But the funny thing is that like okay, so those profiles and stuff like that. There's right, but we conversations offline or at least. I, I think on some level, like 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 you know, there's there's a uh, uh, a level of purity that you can reach with a bar camp, and then people back off of that, right? So you know, not knowing anything walking into it the morning of is pretty extreme for some people right right um for instance uh bar camp philly they had people driving down during the last one uh from new york and they weren't going to make it in time for you know the 10 o'clock kickoff or whatever so you know somebody they had somebody on the cell phone and put a couple cards up for them Hmm. right like that's right Other bar camps, you know, want want like big names, right? To be at their bar camp, to make it a bigger event, and they'll actually guarantee them slots, and they'll pre-fill the calendar, the schedule, before the morning of, before anybody gets a chance to put their name up there, their slots are already full. Right, see, I kind of... To your point about purity, I kind of think that breaks that law. I could see potentially like a keynote or like, hey, by the way, you know, so-and-so is going to join us maybe at a wrap-up or something like that. Right, right. But but some of them are, I mean, you know, like uh, like I think Health Camp had some specific doctors that they absolutely wanted to get there. And, you know, there are people that wouldn't come unless they were going to be able to speak on the topic they wanted to. Hmm. Which I kind of think... You know, the whole point of bar camp is, well, then nuts on you. We don't want you there. Right. Or go organize, <laughs> go organize your own conference. Right, and, right. And, ha- and totally. have a set agenda and make it free or something like that. Don't call yeah. it one thing and not have to, you know, not have to be that way because you're obviously eliminating opportunity for people to talk. I mean, there's very limited spots at most of these. and I, I agree. Um, but then, you know. So there's a whole range of things that fall under the camp umbrella, right? Right. People are having these things, and they're running them slightly differently than we're used to, um, but they're still calling them, you know, whatever, health camp or, um, you know, this one's fashion camp New York. They had people coming. And, right. I, I mean, I guess the the converse to what we're saying about this purity is that the other part of the period is, you know what? They can do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> you know, it's their yeah, show. Right. It's, it's their it's, camp. There's they're putting on the event. Nobody has any say. Right. This isn't an official kind of thing anyway. This isn't, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, but exactly. this isn't a documented type of 
thing you have to follow. You know, it's a right. con- it's a concept, and if you want to evolve it, more power to you. Right. And so can- that was a huge tangent. Um, bring bringing it back to where we were. This guy wanted to help out. You know, and I'm like, well, really, the technical things you're asking for aren't all that complex. The hard thing is some of the organization um, and figuring out things like usability, user stories, um, you know, storyboards flow through the system where where you should be able to see what and when. Um, you know, I'd really like help with that. And he's, right. he replied, well, what do you want? Um, you know, cucumber uh, stories? Wow. <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> um, if you know how to write them, that'd be cool. Um, you know, and and... I didn't even have, you know, Cucumber up and configured in, in, the, in that application yet. So um, I set that up and threw together, I don't know, two, two feature files with maybe five different scenarios, you know, to get a user um, on the system logged in, logged out, and to register a new event, cool. right? Um, and fed it to him so that he now has a basis to say, okay, well, this is the approach we're taking. You know, he wanted an example or a template. Or, so, so do those you know. pass? You don't have that yet, right, the user registration? Um, well, it uh, no, I mean, you can get a login to the system, right, okay. to the generic system. It doesn't necessarily mean you've registered for a specific event. Right, yet, okay, okay. Right? Yep. It, it's just the I logged in, I logged out type crap. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, so that stuff passes. Um, what doesn't quite pass yet are the uh, the uh, register a new event thing, um, because the way the user story was sort of written, um, you know, I started off thinking, okay, well, I'm going to register an event. I'm going to know the name of the event. You know, the short name, the thing that's going to be used as like the Twitter hashtag and all that crap. Um, you know, the date and the location, right? Mm-hmm. But those are two different models in my system, right? Okay. So I've been farting with, like, uh, Rails-nested forms, you know, so that when you have an object that contains an object and... Yeah, and some of the new stuff form, looks really nice. Yeah, well, I can't get it working. But... <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I saw one of the Rails casts the other day showing that, and it looked really a lot smoother than you know in the past having to do some of that stuff yeah well i need to go watch that because uh it, it wasn't so smooth for me yet okay um but the point is right right you can have an event like bar camp philly but but you need to have multiple occurrences right and people don't register for the event they register for the occurrence right but then again you know you have an organizer right is he organizing the event, or do you want him organizing the occurrence because maybe someone else will step in for subsequent years, right? Because these are usually annual events, right? Sure. Uh-huh. So my, you know, the whole relationship thing in my models is screwy, and I don't know whether I got it right the first time around or not, but what the heck, I'm going to bang it all together and see what I end up with. Right. Well, that's a great example of why you would use something like Cucumber because I had the same scenario with uh, well, oh, the I built that lacrosse website uh-huh. and, and totally threw it together with the concept of you know similar teams year after year, you know, 
hadn't really thought through the whole multiple year thing. Right. I mean, it, it's, you know, you just kind of bang something together over a weekend. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Yeah. This works. That works. And all of a sudden you're kind of getting the next year or two. And well, yeah, that's being, the, as soon as the second bar camp Philly come up, I had to go in and re, um, you know, I went into the rails console and started querying the record and changing the names of things so that I could have another one named the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I took a very similar approach. I kind of like, you know, archived all the teams and broke a, you know, a relationship right, while here or right. there and kind of put some ideas in, IDs in and stuff like that, but it works out. Um, cool. So I created this set of user stories, right? And at the same time mm -hmm. at the day job, right, we've got, you know, a, uh, uh, relatively new, maybe three month, um, product owner, uh, you know, product manager, basically person and a three month, uh, business analyst. Right. And they're trying to get their hands around what they should be giving us for the next release. Right. And they're talking about writing user stories and we get this set of like, uh, like massively vague, um, sort of require uh, they're not requirements they were like you know i i, I want it to do x right like and and x would did it like okay so what user what role what screen you know what do you want to not not quite a story more like a fable uh, it was or, uh... it, yeah it was more more like uh you know i had this passing thought um, <laughs> and then and then the very next one would be like you know um, and I also want to be able to upload an Excel worksheet with these columns, and this one's going to be a GUID, and you're going to line that up with, you know. And I'm like, wait a minute. You went from, like, I've got no idea what this thing needs to be to the very next thing needs to have a GUID column. Not any unique identifier column, a GUID column, right? I mean, it's very technically specific, all right? Right. I'm like, yeah. okay, you're at both ends of the spectrum and you have no clue what you're doing. So we sit through an hour meeting with like, I don't know, 10 developers, you know, like what a huge waste of time and money to sit around reviewing, you know, and, and the business analyst just wanted to talk about the format of the document, not the content. Is the format right? Well, like mm. you've got a book on user stories on your desk. This isn't, you know... New, you're not reinventing the wheel. You didn't. Well, isn't that what a business analyst should be coming in to do? Is like you just throw stuff at him. He should know the format. I mean, I, it... that that's what I thought, right? <laughs> so, so anyhow, <laughs> that's what you it's do, a, man. It's a you know uh, an open question at this point whether or not um, that was supposed to be a productive meeting, or if the scrum master was just letting her hang herself out. You know, give her enough rope to hang herself, right? right like, right. okay, put her in front of the developers for an hour and, you know, watch them all go, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> right. Well, uh, we'll have to stay tuned and mm, mm. hear more about that. Yeah. So I showed her a couple um, of my user stories and I'm like, look, these have a defined format. Cucumber dictates a format because, you know, user stories aren't something new. People know how to make those already. <laughs> Right. It, it gives you the format, but it also gives you the flexibility to kind of add some layers to yeah. it as you need to, which is great. I think it's, I mean, I think it's fantastic. I'm looking for a place to use it more. Um, so I'm really wanting to hear about how this bar camp thing works out because I'd love to be able to handle our business, hand our business analysts 
you know, some stories and things like that. Right, as examples, um, for instance. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious to see what this guy's got to, you know, if he's got stuff in mind. and. Um... Well, well, not only that he has it in mind, but he can translate it. Because I think right. um, the thing I was struggling with, and I don't know how far you got, but, you know, it's well, you know, all well and good to use Cucumber for like, hey, when I click the login button, I should see a username box. And I type this in and I click go and it says... You're logged in. Right, but like 90% of that comes from, you know, a, uh, you know, like a storyboard, right? Or a, right. Um, uh, like a sitemap type concept, right? Like, you mm -hmm. know, from here, I need to be able to get to these things, right? Or, right. you know, well, you start yeah, with the idea I, that know, the user needs to, to be able to accomplish. Skipping some of that. What? And then, you know, I'm not sure if Cucumber is the perfect thing. I think you still need to take some time, spend an hour. Well, I think there's that text bit at the top that really doesn't do anything, right? But I think that's supposed to kind of encapsulate what you're defining below, right? Like you're supposed to say, sure. all right, here's my user story. It is the user needs to be able to register for an event, um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and be signed up, right? That's your user story. How do you accomplish that? You know, from the homepage, you need to be able to find the thing. Then you need right, to be able to click on it and then register for it. And like, that's all separate scenarios. No, I agree. I think, no, all I'm saying is I think I jumped into cucumber too quickly where I still need to, like, I think the stuff at the top of the file kind of comes from, you know, maybe your cards that you kind of throw together. It just, some kind of brainstorming session where you're like, hey, what the hell do we want this site to do? Like, I, right, I went right. right to Cucumber trying to mess around with it and starting to say, hey, you know, and going in, you know, it's a little bit below Totally. The I think there needs to be yeah, a higher level vision for all the features you're going to. Um, yeah, I was kind of like the person you were describing, you know, kind of coming in like, hey, I know a couple mm -hmm. technical things. I mean, right. Of course, I'm just trying to mess Can with. Can you site review the format of my Word doc? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Ignore the uh, words. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's see how this turned out. That's it.